Impact of Influence, The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. So grateful you're spending time with us again, Matt Harris and Seton Tucker. You can go to Impact of Influence on Facebook, and there are some things still shaking in this case we get to, plus we will have listener comments and emails and Facebook comments to get into in a little bit because uh, lawyer Lori really got people fired up. Scene. I know. I thought that Sarah Azari was going to be our most controversial guest ever, but it appears as if yeah. uh, Lori probably gotten more comments about her. I agree. I agree. Well, let's start with uh, Fitz News is reporting that the effort by Dick Harputlian and Jim Griffin to further along the jury tampering accusations against Becky Hill might uh, get a little pushback. By the way, Becky Hill has retained Justin Bamberg and Will Lewis as attorneys. Uh, Bamberg has been a state lawmaker. Now his fifth term as a state lawmaker. And uh, he's represented other victims of the Murdoch financial crimes. So they uh, have hired a veteran federal law enforcement investigator, Rob Weisenhofer, to look into these jury tampering allegations. And Fitz News is saying they don't know what he's uncovered, just that people are buzzing. And the quote from their sources, he may have saved the state's case, mm. which would be pretty significant if that is true. Uh, Weisenhofer or Hoffer, spent nearly 34 years with the FBI and he's now hired to handle cases like this. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how this all shakes out. It'll be, uh, and, and of course, we know that Harpootlian and Griffin, Murdoch's attorneys, do not want SLED to investigate. So I don't know if they'll be happy with that guy investigating since he wasn't hired by them or appointed by the court. I imagine they'll say that's not good enough. But we'll shall see how that moves on. So let's uh, move on to Murdoch's buddies. Uh, let's start with Russell Lafitte. Yes, Russell Lafitte, if you recall, is the banker who was convicted by the federal government. And he is now in jail almost a year after he was sentenced or convicted. And it was crazy because we thought he was going to keep appealing this and stay out of prison. But it, eventually it turned out he uh, went to prison on September 28th. And he, he does still have a pending appeal, but they said enough's enough. So that he has been located in Coleman uh, Federal Correctional Institute, which is in central Florida, while he you know has his pending appeal. It's seven years is what he was convicted of. We'll see what the appeal does. And also, just of note, it's about five hours from Hampton, where his family lives. And apparently he has been put into the camp situation. Camps are where they don't have fences or the doors are most of the time unlocked um, and they're pretty much allowed to move around pretty freely they also in this situation they don't monitor your mail or your email and his initial work assignment is in the kitchen that doesn't seem too bad this has a really interesting article on this apparently there's a running track tennis courts a weight room they also have yoga classes and other types of fitness machines and access to treats like cotton candy and ice cream it sounds pretty uh, delicious to those of us who have kids who could take a break for a minute but seven years you're still not free right i mean it's not uh, you know it's it's if you're going to serve time it sounds like a good way to do it but 
it's still not the same as being there every day for your family and kids and stuff. No, and I've been told by attorneys who have clients in federal prison that it's it's still not where you want to be. If you're going to be somewhere, though, it seems like Russell's in a one of the better options, if you will. Yes. Uh, also, uh, we want to talk about Corey Fleming. Yes. Now, Corey Fleming, we talked about, I think, in our last episode, that he was sentenced to 10 years in state court and that he's required to serve 85% of this time because of the money laundering charges. Yeah. And he did plead guilty right. to these yep. charges. So something happened that he received this 10-year sentence, and now he's appealing that sentence. And what I've been told is it's extremely rare to have an appeal when you've pled guilty. Okay, that would that would make sense. Uh, I, he's saying it's an excessive punishment, right? Right. He's saying it's excessive and in their appeal they contend that his eighth amendment rights were violated which would be uh, unusual punishment and they're saying that his sentence was grossly out of proportion to the severity of the crime and we had mentioned a couple other attorneys who had stolen more money and done less time yeah in our last episode so he's he's doing something uh, which we kind of mentioned we got heat for uh he's talking about the sentencing being affected by the notoriety of the Murdoch case and that Judge Newman was a little heavy-handed because of his emotional ties. And they also talk about, in this uh, appeal, extrajudicial statements that were made by Judge Newman. They say, you know, he said that this was the greatest crime in the in the history of a lawyer in South Carolina, those type of things. Corey Fleming wants the court to consider what the federal court said— Newman uh, did not read the federal court materials because he did not defer to the federal court system in making his decisions. That's what they're saying. So they're saying he should have said the federal court was saying was was little light, a, a lot more light handed on Corey Fleming. Right. Right. They gave him five years, which, you know, with what he pled to, he he could get off with good time and that sort of thing. in just a few years. So what happens next since Newman uh, put the hammer down on him? Well, so transcripts are ordered, and that is made part of the record. Once the transcripts are sent out, a scheduling order will be put in place, and the defense is required to submit a brief, and the state will have a chance to respond. Because this is just on sentencing, it probably will be less less than what— if, Like a bunch of information, paperwork, stuff Right. Like, like, for example, if it wasn't just based on a guilty plea— you might have issues about whether a search was proper oh, okay. or a confession was proper, things right. that you, that the that the defense objected to during the trial. Okay. And after that, the state court of appeals will determine if oral arguments will be heard because I guess a lot of these appeals they just dismiss them because they say they don't have merit. They're just tossed and they never get to that point. And as you said, what like only one percent of of sentencing. Is appealed, so I I don't know if they're going to listen to arguments. It just makes you wonder what was the breakdown between Corey Fleming's attorney and the state, because she, you know, probably advised him that pleading guilty was a good thing for him. Right, and it's and from what we're hearing, that sentence is you know heavy, even if he fought it. But the attorneys we talk to say when you plead guilty, there's some expectation of. A bit of leniency. Yeah, because you're taking ownership of it, and you're and you're you know saving the court money, et cetera, et cetera. But I've seen some backlash on social media that people are like, "Oh, he wanted to take ownership, and then when he got the sentence, right, he didn't." 
Well, you mentioned the backlash. Let's get into some of the backlash. And like you said, one of the people saying, some of the people saying, well, he got ownership, but he didn't like the result. And you either own it and and deal with what you're given, or you are don't really mean it when you say you want to own it, right? Yeah. Julie commented on her Facebook pages on our Facebook page, and she said, "These types of lawyers deserve the harshest sentences. We should be applauding Judge Newman." So she she thinks that. And a few other people made comments about maybe this is not usual, but they should be getting these type of sentences. I think the problem that some have with it is that it's not a consistent sentence across with other attorneys doing similar things. And should somebody be penalized more just because the story was so much in the spotlight? Right. That's the question, I guess, that Corey Fleming would say. And you have nothing about uh, something about Judge Newman as well. Yeah, we got a couple of comments uh, from listeners, messages, and also on our Facebook page. One person said, you guys seem pretty vocal about your opinion of Judge Newman, but we have yet to hear your opinions of Carmen Mullen and how she could recuse herself on Murdoch-related cases, but then was the judge that signed off on the stolen Satterfield funds. I don't think we've ever I've we've complimented Judge Newman. I think he's fantastic. I think yeah, I think for the most part we have, I, but we're not going to be a hundred percent saying everybody's amazing or not. We, all we're pointing out is like we, I like to say, and we'll say a lot about this with lawyer Lori, that we bring up things and have experts talk on it or give you an opinion we heard from somebody. We're not telling you how to think about it. That's up to you how you think about whatever the topic is. And in Judge Newman's case, we are saying that some people thought he was heavy handed. Yeah. Well, it seems to be that it was, if you look at the rest, he was heavy handed on that. Whether that's wrong or not, the Court of Appeals will decide. Another thing someone pointed out was we had talked about would the egg juror be able to find, or not the the egg, whoever those people were, the people who contacted, sent the email to Judge Newman about... Oh, yeah, the the egg juror's friend of a friend kind of thing. Right, (laughs) right. They said it's actually pretty easy to find Judge Newman's email. They found it in like 30 seconds. Really? <laughs> so, uh, we were wrong on that. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, I would have thought even if you could find it, is Judge Newman reading his emails every day, right? Or somebody, maybe somebody's reading somebody's them for him? Somebody's reading them for him, I would think. Sure, right? Okay, so let's go to uh, next. Uh, let's see, we've done Fleming, we've done Lafitte, we've done Judge Newman. What do you got next? So, Alec Murdoch's funds have been seized by the federal government there has been a preliminary order for forfeiture um and this was in response to Alec Murdoch's team wanting the federal government to take over the funds and I'm just wondering if this is some way that he's going to try to pay his lawyers I don't know but it's just now the federal government has basically put everybody on notice saying hey don't spend these funds don't distribute these funds Wow. So the people who Alex screwed over will have to wait some more. Right. And, yeah. and we'll see how the, the line goes. I don't know how uh, the federal government to decide how much he's allowed for his defense. They might say, hey, you take a public defender. The state court said no. I right. mean, the state court said when they tried to get access to the 401k funds, they said, nope, you've been paid enough and he can you can work for free or he can get a public defender. Right. And that's, the feds might say the same thing. What emails, comments, etc. would you like to hit next? Do you want to go to the Lawyer Lori yeah, episode? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, probably the most reaction 
as far as comments and emails and stuff from last episode with Lawyer Lori. We don't have to keep calling her Lawyer Lori, but we do that because you find her on TikTok that way. But uh, anyway, Lori was on and she was very outspoken. She does not hold back. She's, <laughs> no. She is uh, not one to parse her comments. Give me uh, one of your comments. Comments were all over the board. Some people really liked her. Some people definitely did not. Uh, and this person, Mark on Facebook, says this episode is stirring up a lot of opinions, as a good podcast as a good podcast should. I don't live in the USA, so I have no idea who Lori is. But it seems you don't have to be a boy to be part of the South Carolina Good Old Boys Club. Oh, because she, a lot of people are seeing her as, him, her as pro Murdoch, and I don't think she's pro Alec Murdoch. She certainly was calling you know scummy and stuff for the money you take. But she and she thinks that he had something to do with it. But she thinks that the trigger people were drug Waterboro cowboys or something. And other people were happy to hear about her this cartel connection because they they agree with that. Libby on Facebook says, "Interesting guess. I agree with some things she said, and didn't agree with other things." Which is, I kind of feel like that's exactly how I feel. Uh, this is from JQ. Sorry, Lori, there's a reason why Creighton was the defense attorney and not you. This is just an awful argument. The man was there minutes before they died, and he is the person who killed them. I think if there's any more to find out, it will implicate Alec Murdoch even more as a despicable criminal that he is. Uh, another one, Ashwee, says, love Lori. Wish she was Alec's attorney. All these male egos are overwhelming. He needs a strong female attorney that isn't part of the cool kids club. <laughs> uh, Someone said, y'all, this is fire. I appreciate lawyer Lori because she is straightforward. And uh, speaking of lawyer Lori, here's another one. This is from Jason. I get that this woman is a lawyer from South Carolina, but she sounded like she was just making up possible alternate scenarios and trying to get one to stick. Where in the world did she come up with a cartel thing? Directly from Murdoch's attorney? Alec was tried and convicted of double murder, and this woman is dreaming up scenarios where some phantom, never seen, never heard from cartel members, for some reason, decided to kill Alec Murdoch's wife and son while Alec was there, but decided to leave him alive? And then Alec leaves and comes back and proceeds to lie to sled for years afterwards? Lori sounds like a head case. Lori's not alone in the drug cartel theory. You can believe it or not believe it, but she's not the only one that has set it out there. And I responded to Jason and I said, Creighton Waters, well, I don't know how many months ago, remember they were, they had a couple of guys, Rivers and Roberts, that they were, that had been arrested. Yeah. And he said in, in their hearing that, that uh, there was a connection between Alec and cousin Eddie and these guys in a drug connection. Yeah. They called it the drug river or something. Yeah, it's it's this cowboy connection to Alec Murdoch is right there in court documents. Yes, so he, he's not. Uh, it's very possible you missed all that stuff because it didn't really come up in his uh, murder trial. No, as much as I thought it might. I know. I thought we were gonna to hear more about that because it was even like I said, Waters said it in open court that he believed. Murdoch was giving money to Eddie, who's giving money to the Cowboys, and da 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 So there is a connection uh, that's out there. So Lori's not pulling it out of thin air. You have a point that your point being that no one saw the the drug guys there, but Alec would have seen them because she believes Alec was there. 
I mean, she says it's just conjecture. She's not yeah. was not saying that this is 100%. 100%. It's just her personal opinion. Yes, yeah, so you can uh, believe it or not, uh, as far as that goes. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. It's instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories. You participate in dialogues. So you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. Let's talk about one of our sponsors. It is Factor. You can eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh meal is never frozen and is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, and they are ready in just two minutes. What did you have chili the other day? Delicious. And if you want gourmet meals, you can try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, asparagus. So head to factormeals.com slash impact50 and use code impact50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code's impact50 at factormeals.com slash impact50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Impact 50 at factormeals.com slash impact 50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts. People who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. So let's see, do you have any other Lori ones you want to share here? I have one about uh, Lori on the Corey Fleming sentence. I understand Lori's position that it seemed harsh for a financial crime, but would Hakeem Pinckney still be alive or had better care if his family had timely received all of the funds that they were due? 
Mr. Pigney at least would have been more comfortable and a better quality of life, but instead experienced horrific, avoidable death in a subpar facility. Would other accident victims be better off if they had timely received all the funds that they were due? Would they receive better care at crucial points in the recovery? Fleming's crimes were not victimless. Lack of funds in these cases likely resulted in death for one client and reduced quality of life care opportunities for others. Well, and someone points out in a review on Apple that Lori seemed overly sympathetic to Fleming, which I think she did seem sympathetic. I said the same thing. I felt felt a little bad for him. But that doesn't mean you can't be sympathetic and also think that the Hakeem Pinkney situation is the worst thing you've ever heard. Right. And I don't think that Lori is saying Corey Fleming shouldn't go to jail or do time. Or that she's not sympathetic to his other victims like Hakeem Pinckney and Arthur Badger. uh, Gloria Satterfield. I'm sure she is sympathetic to them. I mean, I'm just speaking for, I'd have to ask her, but I would think she would be. She was just, what I'm speaking for again, I think her point was only that his sentencing, in her mind, was not consistent with other attorneys who had done similar things exactly that 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 was her uh i feel it was like her only point that she was making and this is another one about the hakeem pinkney thing long time listener from david but i was horrified and disgusted by Lori murray why didn't you ask her if she cried for hakeem pinkney as she cried for her buddy Corey fleming you know the already privileged white a-hole who stole money from the most vulnerable people who she was bemoaning might miss his precious daughter's wedding insert eye roll she even at one point said basically, well, Akeem Pinkney was already dead by the time Corey got involved. Please, what a wretched, disrespectful woman. Her comments reeked of elitism, bias, and veiled racism, and frankly, I'm disappointed that you guys didn't give her any pushback on her disgusting comments. Uh, We should be discussing why white-collar crime doesn't have longer sentences. Meanwhile, people sometimes are locked up away for decades for dealing marijuana. Well, I mean, that's a whole other thing that I'd be on your side for 100%. But uh, we weren't comparing marijuana and white-collar crime, so that's off the beaten track. Well, we got another similar one on Apple. It says, although I have listened to all of your podcasts, Matt and Seton tend to sympathize with offenders. I agree that everyone is entitled to a fair trial. However, the evidence is overwhelming, and the victims are some of the most vulnerable of our society. Seton, we know your father is an attorney, and you grew up in Hilton Head. Is your family friends with these creeps? <laughs> well, are they? I grew up in South Carolina, but my father does not practice law in South Carolina, so no, no he is not friends with the Murdoch family. Did not go to not to go to USC Law School, and Hilton Head is is not Walterboro or you know that area. They're separate. There's just it's a bit of a travel time between the two. So she didn't grow up with any of these people. Doesn't know any of these people, um, and I I don't think. You can be sympathetic to both, is I think what we're trying to say. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Someone else said, could you be more sympathetic to the scum of the earth? I don't think so. That was a review on Apple, one star. If you like us, please go out there and give us some good reviews. Yeah, we'll take some good stars. And we, we love all the pushback, and we love whether you like us or not. We like to uh, hear about it. I hope that we weren't coming across as unsympathetic to the victim, because the victims were uh, treated horribly. And what Corey Fleming did was was horrible. It was just about the consistency of sentencing, I think. Well, we had another person said this is the only podcast Murdoch related that is unbiased and will report facts instead of their own opinions. I love the fact that they had on Jim Griffin and Sarah Zori, and then they updated it and said they also enjoyed Lori. Yeah, and we also had on Creighton Waters. 
Yes. So, I mean, and well, Eric Bland. And Eric Bland many times. And I still text with him on occasion. Let's see. Oh, wait. I want to read this one because I think this you'll enjoy this one. Okay. Sloppy podcaster and his bored housewife companion pretend to bring a balanced view to the story when they're obviously biased. Just, hmm. just like... That racist guest, Lori, I've seen no indication that she's racist, but I, never see, I, I, I am not. I've, enough, I've said it before. Sometimes I am a bored housewife, and <laughs> I'm not as bored as I would like to be. What was I described as? You're the sloppy podcaster. Oh, sloppy. That, yeah, I'm sloppy. Don't get me wrong. Uh, let's see. I Oh, Buster Murdoch uh, uh, email. I understand that Buster Murdoch has been through quite a traumatic experience. I have a few questions about his attitude. I saw, heard a phone call between him and his dad while Buster was in Vegas and his dad was in jail. Buster said something to the effect that the Satterfield lawyer was a real charmer, full of charm, something like that. I mean, I don't, that's, that's possible, I guess. I also heard that he gave the middle finger to Mark Tinsley during the trial after he was finished on the witness stand because Buster didn't like how he testified. That is not true. I saw, he had, his, he was, he kind of had his hand on his face. Yeah. And, and his middle finger was up, but it did not, it just appeared like he was in thought. To me, I mean, some people, Saul that I, thought it was he was giving the bird. I don't think. I don't know, but I, I can't say for certain, but it would be an interesting question to ask Buster. The 26-year-old former law student is said to have kicked over a water bottle in anger when security asked him to move out of the front row behind his father. I had not heard that story. I had not. I, maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. I mean, he yeah. does have a lot to be angry for. I mean, I'm, I'm he's getting the yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting the feeling that Buster and other members of the family do not respect authority and feel entitled in some way. Well, I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, we've seen evidence of that for sure. The entitlement? The entitlement, yes. yes. Uh, the Netflix special we talked about. This is from somebody. The episode where we kind of broke down the Netflix special. First thing she says is, I am not saying the murders were premeditated, but the guns Alec used were in the golf cart because they were driving the property and hunting for pigs. He grabbed the guns closest to him. He couldn't have stolen and stashed the guns ahead of time and then busted them out of nowhere to kill them within the time from the video and the time their phones went dead. He used what was close and then disposed of Paul's favorite gun and his own favorite gun. And what I said was that the prosecution was saying it was premeditated in a sense, at least because they say the guns that were used, they, they claim what they believe were the guns that were used in the murder, and they just claim this because there's no proof, were the missing gun, one that Paul got stolen, or got stolen from Paul's truck at one point, long before the murders, and then this other one that Alec bought, but no one ever saw. Like I think Maggie might have picked it up, maybe, but no one ever saw that one. That's the one they say. So when I say premeditated, I, I mean that he, he, no one saw this gun and the, and the missing gun, so he had to stash it for use at some point, if that's the theory the prosecution wants. I don't know. It, <laughs> the whole no. I'm not sure. It says uh, she talks about how Becky made a big deal. This is uh, Becky Becky Hill in the Netflix special made a big deal about Paul getting pulled over on the boat and drinking and driving because he had been accused of a BUI and the murder of Mallory Beach before the incident. He clearly didn't learn his lesson, and Becky said that Alec couldn't control him. Well, uh, we actually on our Facebook page. Uh, I posted a picture of the citation that Paul Murdoch received a few weeks prior to his death, and it was on Shem Creek in Charleston, and he was it was it was in, in a proper equipment violation. It was like no alcohol had, violation. It wasn't. Not, that's not to say that there wasn't alcohol mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the boat, but it was not an alcohol violation that he received on Shem Creek. But I did have another thought about this. 
Do you remember that Paul Murdoch, while he's was still facing these boating criminal charges, mm-hmm. was supposed to originally remain in the 14th Circuit, but then he got permission to go to the Columbia area to attend school and his lawyer appointments. Uh-huh. Yeah, but this is in Charleston, which is not in the 14th Circuit, so he should not. Oh, he he shouldn't, he, have sh- he shouldn't have been there. No, yeah, that's a good, very good point. That's a very good point. She also says. Paul was killed first. Killers always subdue the strongest person first. Dr. Kinsey is a pro. pro, uh, Trust that. I was saying, yeah, he is a pro. Great on the stand and all that sort of thing. But he, in the Netflix special, says the thing that bothered me was he said, if Paul wasn't killed first, he would have fought the killers. And you can never predict what someone is going to do, especially with a gun pointed at him. Paul's not trained in martial. You, you, people freeze. They there's you know fight or flight or freeze. And I agree with this listener. Remember, I, I I disagreed with you on this, and I think the listener is spot on. I think who is better to make this type of determination than an expert? But he didn't make that determination at the trial. He never said the reason during the trial that he said it simply because the scientific reasons were because the way Paul was shot in the um, in the house in the little dog penny thing. It wouldn't have made sense for Maggie to come out, shoot Maggie. Then whoever shot had to run all the way over to Paul. It wasn't about Paul fighting. He never, ever said that in court. It was all about logistics of, of Paul shot. And then Maggie comes running because if he had shot Maggie first, the person would have had to run all the way over to get to Paul before he got out of the the doghouse thing. Right. And, and that it, wouldn't that doesn't add up. Yeah. So he never said about the Paul would have fought the guy. So the and, first time he said this was on, on Netflix? Yeah. I, I never saw it. And also, that's not science. But that's his opinion, his professional yeah, But it's not opinion. science. That's just a, you know, we went through the, like the 911 calls. How do people act on 911 calls? You never know. You never know the people. Some people cry. We talked to 911 operators. Some people freak out. Some people, but it, some people, she, I, think, I think she said something like some people just maybe go inside and start yeah. doing the dishes because yes. they're just so traumatized. Remember, there was a case in Ohio. The guy found his wife murdered and he went and took a nap. Yes. And so everybody thought he was guilty. Well, they found the people who did it. It was just he went into autopilot. Yes. So you just never know what someone's going to do. Uh, is is my whole thing, and and to, to Dr. Kinsey's, as I've said a thousand times about this, you sit in front of these cameras, you're probably interviewed three hours. <laughs> they can take something out of context or whatever, edit it down to two minutes. Let's see. Eddie couldn't admit it. He helped clean up the crime scene because he says the first time you heard Alec say anything that comes close to admitting Alec killed Paul Maggie was during the Labor Day shooting long after the murders. Well, to that we say, can you believe anything Eddie says? Yeah, I mean. He clearly has credibility issues, that's for sure. Um, and she says, Judge Newman does not have to be neutral. Uh, he does. He you know, that, that, that That's the job of a judge, is I, to be neutral. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, okay. Do well, you have any other? What, you got another one there? Yeah, we have a few on Eric Bland. Longtime listener. I've listened to this podcast with Lori, whom I follow. I found myself talking out loud to my phone when she compared Greg Leon to Alec Murdoch and referred to Alec as accused. He stands convicted, not just accused. And I heard E.B. say he does not condone what his friend Leon did, but he remained his friend. Which, personally, I'm I'm fine with with Eric Bland oh, yeah. supporting his friend. I have no problem Let's with that at all. Let's explain what that was about. And it, it, they, they go on to point out that these are 
it's a different Greg Leon situation, which he was a man who was convicted of killing his wife's lover, is different than what Alec Murdoch has been convicted of. Killed his wife and wife and child. Yeah. So yeah, this Greg Leon guy was friends of Bland, kills his wife's lover, like point blank or whatever in a car. He eventually ended up committing suicide, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Not, I, I, I'd have to go back and listen. I'm not sure the context why. I think some people, Lori's I think brought Lori it brought it up. I think some people, and I've seen it on social media, were upset that, okay, you really critical of Alec Murdoch, but here you are supporting this other man, your friend, who was convicted of murder. Oh, yeah. So All right. Give me, uh, let's give me another one before we head out here. Well, we've gotten a few comments on our Facebook page as well as, I believe, Apple about how Lori openly... Uh, disparaged other podcasters, which we for sure have never spoken negatively about another podcast. And we if she did, more I'd, the merrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of ears to go around for everybody, so we have no problem with the uh, uh, most of the other podcasts, and we don't talk about it on the air. Put it that way. So yeah, we, like we just we'll put people on the air who we feel are knowledgeable. Then it's up to you guys to decide what you want to believe. Right, and we don't agree with everything every guest that we've had no, on this no. podcast says, but it's it's an open forum. I'm certainly not scared to hear views that are different from my own. Yeah, I sometimes don't even believe the things that come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I a week ch- later, I'm like, why did I say that? That doesn't make sense. Well, and my opinion changes. I am yeah, one of those true. people. I hear something and I'm like, wait a second, I think I was wrong about that. Yeah, absolutely. And we've we've plenty of times said we we're wrong, and we also encourage. The the negative feedback and the positive feedback doesn't bother us. It's all part of the deal, and we just try to get better and make more sense, and we'll see what happens. We're still abiding our time to see if Ella gets a new trial or not. Another note we forgot. Almost yeah, forgot. I forgot to point out that Eric Bland is representing the jurors in the Hill case for free. So that's commendable. Yes, uh, and, and Joe McCall is uh, representing a few of the jurors, and Eric's got a few of the jurors. We'll see where this all goes. We'll be here for it. We hope you'll be with us. Impact of influence on Facebook. And I get I have probably 400 emails I'm trying to get through because things really have lit up over the last few weeks. Uh, but I'll get to them. It's Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. I'll try to get to you. And we'll talk soon, friend. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. 
He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.